Welcome back to Rethinking Politics, episode 85. Dan's already cracking up. I'm I'm trying really hard not to use the word imbecile because this is a polite podcast. We were joking about something just moments ago, and I was about to whisper something ridiculous into the microphone in a silly voice. And Brad, and Brad starts it. the podcast. Like, I'm like, I'm it's coming out of my mouth as he starts starts the episode, and just like that, we're here. And just like that, there's there's a reason we're not doing video right now, and it's it's that <laughs> so you don't have to see our faces for a little bit. No, seriously, we're 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 looking to make some technological changes to our setup, and and resume doing video soon. But in the meantime, we're going to have just audio podcasts for the next next few weeks, probably. Um, you'll probably notice that we haven't had a video for the last few weeks either, so that'll stick around for a little bit longer. Um, Last week, we had the amazing opportunity to interview Seth Radwell. We had a, a really good experience with that. Felt like it went really well. So if you haven't listened to it, go ahead and take a listen to that. Um, that's something we'd like to do in the future. What we will do in the future is is interview some other people. Maybe we'll 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 reach out and maybe we'll end up getting interviewed. You know, we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, but for now, we're going to continue. We'll, we'll still do regular episodes like this where we discuss ideas and hopefully make some cogent statements fingers crossed um this if not week, we'll at least whisper weird things <laughs> or start to whisper weird things stop and then just make the whole thing real be interrupted by the fact that we're supposed to supposed to be talking about meaningful things <laughs> exactly so so this week we want to talk about um price gouging or profiteering and some of those ideas associated with those things obviously the context here is inflation has increased prices across the board. Um, the Ukraine crisis, along with a lot of other factors, have increased oil prices across the board, which has made things cost more. But there's another argument that's been proposed, and the argument is is that inflation has increased prices, and businesses have used that opportunity knowing that prices are growing, going up generally to increase their prices more than they need to to adjust for inflation in order to take advantage of the general market trends. And that oil prices have gone up, but that gas companies and, and oil companies are taking advantage of that fact to price gouge and charge more for gas than they actually need to given the current price of oil. Yeah, so the term profiteering and price gouging, if you're not familiar with those, uh, profiteering is <laughs> is a fairly useless term, <laughs> depending on how it's defined. Uh, our, we were looking for a formal definition, and the first one we came across was like ways in which you make profit that aren't good. Yeah, exactly. If you look at Just, if you search profiteering. <laughs> On Google, it says the practice of making or seeking to make an excessive or unfair profit, especially illegally or in a black market. So basically any kind of illegal or unethical, unfair profit would be considered profiteering. So any bad profit is profiteering. Yes, which is which is fairly useless. Um, but there's a more there's a more common usage for it and how it's applied in which You'd say the profiteering is a is when you're taking advantage of someone in a certain situation that there's there's some opportunity because of the circumstances that are abnormal that allows you to charge more um, 
and you're going to take advantage of, of people in need or people, uh, you know, people's ignorance or people's desperation in order to make higher profits than you would normally be able to. And price gouging, uh, specifically is, is, that. is when you, is that is, is the more narrow definition of profiteering <laughs> right. when you're increasing prices to take advantage of of a situation unfairly. Yes, and so for our purposes, we're, we're profiteering is useful as a general concept because that's it's a it's a term not as a not because of its tight definition, which, which as I said was seems rather useless, but because it indicates uh, how we view profits as a society. It's just interesting to me that, that we have a word for inappropriate profits mm-hmm. in the form of profiteering and that this is a, a common, uh, slur thrown out or a common, uh, accusation, I guess is the right way to think of it. It's a common accusation that people say this company is profiteering and that's, and that's bad. There's a way in which profits, there's a, I keep wanting to use the word just because that's how I think of these things. There's, uh-huh. there are just profits and there are unjust profits and you should stop unjust profits. You should, I think everyone would agree with that, that if someone's, if I'm stealing from you to make money, mm-hmm. that would be unjust mm-hmm. and we stop it. Right. Mm-hmm. And it has little to do with the word profit, right? And yeah. everything to do with how you acquire, how you are treating other human beings to get that money. But profiteering Usually, uh, the definition mentioned illegal, it may be illegal ways, but illegal again isn't a moral judgment. It, it may be moral, it may be immoral, it's just the state of the law. But it's, but how do we, how do we, I guess, how do we differentiate this, Brad, and how do we, how do we get into a conversation about the, I suppose, the culture of how we think of these things and how, how people look at profits in general? You know, it's an excellent question because because as you're saying, profiteering seems like a weird definition because if what's going on is illegal, then why are we focusing on the profits? You know, if you have a a some kind of multi-level marketing scam where you're taking advantage of people and stealing money from them, we wouldn't say that you're profiteering. We would say that you're scamming them. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, this if is you, fraud. Yeah, this exactly. A, it's a type fraud. Of unjust. Yeah. If if and you just. set up a system where you know, and et cetera, et cetera, down the line for things that we can all agree are clearly bad, what you're doing is bad. But profiteering is different because they're saying what you're doing is good. You know, you know, or at least not bad. You know, you are selling, you know, product A, which happens to be, you know, English muffins to the community. No one's upset that you're selling English muffins. What they're upset with is how much money you're making from it. You know what I mean? And that's where (laughs) profiteering comes in. And that's why I think profiteering has become more popular as an idea. As a culture, we've gotten more and more convinced that in general, profits are bad, especially in regards to big corporations. You know, if you're a small business and you're making a profit that really just comes out to a living wage for you, that's fine. But if you're making an actual profit, which means more than $100,000 a year for you as the business owner, then it starts to become a problem. And and that, of course, is, I think, why profiteering has taken off, is that is that as a society, we no longer accept profit 
as a legitimate idea. And so, so I want to break that down a little bit because what's the difference between a small business owner who's making a profit and, and the CEO of Walmart making a profit? And obviously the difference is scale, you know, not the CEO of Walmart. Well, I mean, the CEO of Walmart will get a cut in terms of bonuses, but the owner, you know, you got, you got mm-hmm. Walton's children, Sam Walton's children over here who are owners and shares of, of Walmart who are making, you know, several billion dollars a year in profit versus you got a mom and pop shop where they're bringing in $90,000 a year in profit. The difference I would argue is, is one of scale, right? You know, you've got Walmart is a much larger corporation. And, and so of course, one's going to have a larger profit than the other. But most people today would argue that it's fundamentally different that really the profit for the small business owner is simply just a wage, you know, that you've got the, you know, maybe it's a family business and so you've got multiple family members working for that business. And so really they're just getting paid a wage, but they're paying it to themselves. And so it's coming out a little bit differently in terms of how they file it for taxes. It's different, but fundamentally we're viewing that as a wage and what the profit is for Walmart, we're not viewing at a wage at all. We're viewing viewing as, you know, uh, as profit, as profit, with, as, as with the implications that we're talking that, about. With yeah. the impl- exactly, because profit is generally considered bad, while making a living wage is not. That we really, in our minds today, most people don't have a legitimate place for profit anymore. Yeah, it's it's odd. It has this it has this negative connotation to it. Uh, as you're describing there, and and we distinguish even common usage. We say the profits profits are the things that a big business gets, mm-hmm. even though even though profit in some ways you could just say is your increase, and that mm-hmm. everybody makes a profit through their work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we've applied it limited to businesses, and then we've limited it further to businesses on such a scale that we tend to think it's not necessarily good, uh, which is. Which says, I think, a lot about our culture and about and about where we are in terms of of measuring the. Uh, I, I suppose, and suppose what we think of virtue in general mm-hmm. that there's that there's something inherently unjust or at least inherently greedy and and thereby immoral about seeking profits and pursuing higher profits, uh, and part of that is I is. I think certainly uh, related to how we view the way the market works and the the excesses, you know, assumptions we make about the way that things flow from from the way that economic goods flow from person to person, and in the ideas like inequality, um, inequality is this concept that, that if you if you ask people what it, what the biggest problems are. Inequality as a term shows up again and again in the, in it used to, it used to not even make the, like the top 10. And now it's, now it's near the top, if not the top, depending on which mm-hmm. country you're looking at. And that's, again, that's odd. Inequality doesn't strike me as inherently bad or inherently unjust, but it's, it's related to this whole issue of, of profit and, as such, it's there's there's this negative connotation with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The idea that that because one person has so much more money than another person is that inherently unjust. You know, that is that is a fundamental idea that 
inequality in and of itself is a problem. And, and that argument is made on a cultural level, but it's not made on a rational level. You know, that one person having more stuff than me doesn't actually hurt me. And it's something that we've discussed before. Mm-hmm. Yes, but, the zero-sum ideas uh-huh. and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I want to take it a different angle, Dan. I want to focus on how we earn our money. Because because I think the root of this goes back to Marxism. That I think the fundamental idea here is that is that the world is created, the value is created through through labor, right? That we're we're going to create things. And therefore, the the just way to make money is through our labor, which is why people who earn money are justified while people who simply profit are not, you know, from by being a business owner or, or whatever. And and I think that's based on a fundamental misunderstanding of of how value works. You know, if you go back yes. to that story of the the mom and pop shop owner and you know Sam Walton's children, it's very easy to see that the mom and pop shop owners work harder than you know than someone's heir who is just getting money whether or not they do anything. Right? That's clear cut. It's clear cut yes. that they're working at least harder. in relation to that money they're inheriting. They have done. Yeah, yeah. They may be working, earn. but and and they may be working incredibly hard. But that's not why they're getting this money. They're getting it yes. because they inherited it, and regardless of what they do, they'll continue to get that money. And versus this mom and pop shop where they have to work night and day in order to get that money. And so, if labor is the only just way of making money, then clearly it's unjust, you know, that you should get paid according to your labor. Therefore, one is just and one is unjust. But there's another way of looking at it, which is to say that it's not about labor, but it's about value creation, that those who create more value should actually get more in terms of justice, right? You know, that 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 mom and pop (laughs) shop creates value absolutely right in whatever they're yes. selling but it's on a very small scale while walmart and people may argue with this and will continue to argue this point time and time again has created incredible value nationwide in the united states for millions and millions of people that the quality of life in the united states on a whole has improved just because of walmart like it made it made such a significant uptick in cost of living value for people that it's noticeable you know what i mean that just yes, walmart's yes. actions has significantly improved my life and your life and that's insane in terms of value created and so the argument that yes there might be insane insane value in what walmart has created and so maybe it's not the most unjust thing in the world for that insane value creation to also have insane profits. You know, yeah. isn't that okay. worth billions of dollars? That massive wealth creation, not wealth creation, value creation for so many individuals? Yes. Yeah, I I, th- I think that makes perfect sense. One one place I think that uh, listeners may, may be li- hearing this and going, wait, 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 wait. 
there are lots of things of incredible value that are not getting money. Mm-hmm. You got the, the artist working on the street, you know, trying to, trying to get by who's creating things that are authentic and, and, uh, beautiful and, and make people's lives better, but is not getting anything for it, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, yeah. This, that, that your, your claim that, uh, which, which I think is absolutely correct and it, that Walmart has created value in a way that has impacted millions of people and improved their lives um, is underselling what a mom and pop shop is bringing to a little town and mm-hmm. what a, you know, what a, what really anybody who's willing to put themselves out there uh, can bring to society. No. And See, I think, the I Waltons, think that's... are the Waltons really millions of times better than we are? No, is is how I think people well, tend to would, hear this. Would, would hear that? No, absolutely. You're absolutely right. And and I need to clarify and add a whole another level to what we're talking about in terms of value, and and that's going back to the Austrian economic school of thought. You know, um, a, a great resource for this would be Rothbard, who talks about value scales, where what you do is what you do, how the world works. Is And we've talked about this before, and we'll talk about it again, is that every day we make choices, and those choices are based off of what we value, and and that's where I get – that's where I'm talking about value here, but we can't choose everything that we want, not even simply monetarily, but every choice that I make is going – to stop me from choosing something else. You know, if I choose to get up right now and walk into the other room, I can't also continue recording this podcast. So every second that I record this podcast, I'm choosing this over so many other things. And I know some of you may be thinking, that was a bad choice. And I understand. (laughs) I get that. And you should see the rest of our choices throughout the day. You think this is a waste of time. Okay, so so we've got you've got a an opportunity. This is often called described as opportunity cost, cost yeah. at, which is which is to say that at the very least your time is limited, mm-hmm. and so how you spend your time, and if you spend it in this way, you can't spend it in another way, and that's yeah. not even you know then there's, you could have financial cost or emotional or you know you could you could get into all the things uh-huh. that is required of you to do the thing that you're doing, mm-hmm. and and what that means in, and the implications of that in terms of cost on what else you can do and, and what else other resources you have available. Okay. Yeah, and so then you take it to a monetary level in the market, which is where most of this is going to come into play, is that I have a limited number of economic resources that I have converted into dollars for convenience, you know? Because I work in exchange, I get money and I use that money to purchase things. So I've converted my purchasing power into dollars, which most people have. And yeah, I'm going to – That – and just just reiterate that. That that represents the labor, the time, the, the effort, the – your life really uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, is now in the you've, – you've traded some of your life for some of these dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, speaking of bad choices. No, and then <laughs> – <laughs> No, I'm, 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 I'm quite happy with the exchange so far. Um, otherwise, I'd stop doing it. So I take these dollars and I get to choose who I give them to and in exchange for what, right? 
but I have a limited number of them. And so I tend to get very picky about where I put those dollars and what I get for them in exchange. And so what happens is, is that if I go to the store and I decide that I want a candy bar, and I go to the candy bar aisle and I see all these candy bars and they all cost different amounts. What happens is, is that in my head, subconsciously or consciously, there is a scale of values, of things that I value. You know, and so you've got my value for for the dollar, which I peg at around 63 cents. You know, and then I've got my value for, <laughs> for all of these other things. And it's not a dollar value amount. Sorry, that joke actually messes up my my whole story, but it, but I couldn't help it. But but on this scale I have a hierarchy of needs. You know, I've got the dollar which I want, but do I want that dollar more than the candy bar? And if I do, then I'm not going to buy any candy bar. If I don't, then okay, maybe there's two candy bars that I value more than a dollar. Well, what if I have a second dollar? And what if I want two candy bars? And then my value scales shift, you know? Maybe the top of yeah. my list is a Snickers bar. And the second thing on my list is the dollar. And then the third thing on my list is a Milky Way. And so if they only have Milky Ways at the store, I'm not going to buy anything. Because I value keeping my dollar more than getting that Milky Way. But then maybe after that Milky Way is, is a second dollar on my list. And so if I have $2, I may end up buying the Milky Way and the Snickers, you know, and then so on and so on. Or maybe the Snickers ends up costing more than I thought it would. And so now all of a sudden I value a buck 50 more than I do the Snickers. How does that relate to Walmart? It's obvious. <laughs> Good. Well, then we'll move on to the next idea then. <laughs> no, I mean, if, if you're listening, if you're listening closely, you'll get it. What Walmart has done is very simple because they're selling almost everything for less than it costs. And of course, now that Walmart's been around for a while, other businesses have lowered their prices because of Walmart, which has yes, made everything. They've cheaper. changed the entire economy. They've changed yeah. the entire economy. But even still to this day, more often than not. Walmart is cheaper than most other stores. Like if you compare Walmart and Amazon, Walmart's going to be cheaper 99% of the time. And so, um, you know, technology may be an exception to that, by the way. Um, buying tech at Walmart's a bad idea. Um, <laughs> don't don't buy Quality. your headphones or earbuds right, or yes, stuff like yes. that from Walmart most yes. of the time. Anyways. <laughs> Consumer advice hour with Brad. <laughs> Car carry on. If, if you're thinking about buying some tech, you know, we can talk later and we'll discuss it. Um, now I lost my train of thought. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, so, so the value scales. So they're selling all of these products for significantly less than they cost elsewhere. Therefore, people are going to purchase their Snickers bars and their Milky Ways from Walmart because almost everyone values dollars. If people didn't value their money and didn't care where they spent it and what they got for in yeah. exchange, Walmart wouldn't have been a game changer. But everyone prioritizes money and stuff. And by shopping at Walmart versus shopping somewhere else, you can have either more money and get the same amount of stuff or have more stuff for the same amount of money depending on your value scales. And either way, it's a... It's a net improvement in your life, which is why you're choosing to give your money to Walmart. And because so many people are choosing to give their money to Walmart, Walmart, in that free exchange of goods and services, is getting a lot of money. And, and we've talked about this before, you know, 
people talk about Amazon being evil, but yet people continue to give their money to Amazon because of what Amazon is giving them in exchange. They say they don't like Amazon, but in practice, they actually do. And the same thing with Walmart. You know, people have been boycotting Walmart since it's been around, and yet people continue to shop there because it's benefiting them. And okay, that's okay. why, and that's why, even though they haven't earned their profit with with labor necessarily, they've earned it because they've garnered my business through bettering my value scales by allowing me to get more of what I want. Okay, so c- continuing in this persona I've adopted of someone who <laughs> who's pushing back against you on this, I, what? So you're suggesting that the value that Walmart has created is not value in your assessment per se, but it's, but it's the assessment of millions of individuals who decided to interact with Walmart. And as such, that, that money is not, it's not someone going, Walmart is more valuable than you are, right? Or these people are more valuable than you are. But it's that certain goods and services at certain times to particular people that valuations have been made millions or billions of them probably i don't know how many items walmart has sold but it's got to be it's probably billions i i'm upset that you said probably billions but continue it's got it's got yes as i as i said probably billions and then as i'm thinking through this it's it's probably tens of who yes, knows each each individual store sells millions each year you know yes certainly certainly yes um as a teenager and even even beyond, I've worked at several Walmarts. They sell crazy amounts of stuff, obviously. And anyone alive probably knows this. I'm saying this as if working for Walmart gave me particular <laughs> insight <laughs> knowledge. Now, those of you on the outside who don't understand, even though literally every major grocery store is modeled after Walmart, like but, but <laughs> Sam here we've Walmart got the inside something. scoop. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there may be nothing more common to our cultural experience than understanding the basic functions of Walmart. But anyway, <laughs> which is all I had access to as a stalker of shelves. <laughs> uh, anyway. Job, um, so it's not the value of the people per se that's being assessed. Yeah, it's, it's not even the value of their ideas. It's the value of services and goods that have been offered and, and willing exchanges between people interacting with them. Across billions of exchanges in mm-hmm. this case. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you have been able to create an exchange that provides value for someone. And you know it provided value because they took the exchange and maybe they were, maybe they misjudged it and they got that candy bar and immediately hated themselves for it. Mm-hmm. But, but in general, you know, they're getting value out of it. They're perceiving that they're getting value out of it. And there was no fraud involved, no coercion involved. Mm-hmm. They get these. And they have done it billions of times. And thus you get resources in the hands of the people who can provide these things, who have provided billions of opportunities for exchange. And then those people, you, you, because they were a step away from them, this is not Sam Walton we're talking about. Mm-hmm. His heirs then, how do they fit into this? You know, his heirs fit in the same way my two-year-old does. Which is, which is that everyone understands. <laughs> Let this. it be stated: Brad thinks the heirs of fortunes 
are equivalent to two-year-olds. No, my two-year-olds. You so, heard it here, ladies so, and gentlemen. So I'm obviously, just, just <laughs> obviously, it's a significant compliment when I'm comparing them to my child, <laughs> not two-year-olds in general. Of course, anyone who's met my two-year-old understand there's also a whole lot of dis right next to that compliment because <laughs> he is a pain in the butt. I didn't know all I had to do was uh, adopt an, a persona of interrogation. I immediately become a jerk who takes things out of context and uh, tries to become. Tries to. Be- <laughs> hey, hey, now, hey. <laughs> all right, he's like your two-year-old. How is he like your? How are they like your two-year-old? I was like, he. It's 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 multiple, and I don't I don't know their names or anything about them, and I really don't care. No, but it's the same thing as before. Where on the small scale, people get it. You know that I am earning an income. You know through the value that I'm that I'm adding to the company that I work for hopefully um, measured by the the individual valuations of people yeah, on their value scales yeah yes. exactly and 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 you it's know it's a decentralized thing there's no single mm-hmm. like way to, to figure it out go on no absolutely and and so in exchange for that I'm getting you know all of this money that I then choose to do whatever I want with and one of the things that I continually, repeatedly choose to do is feed, clothe, and, and you know, shower gifts upon my two-year-old. Um, <laughs> he's pretty cute. <laughs> he's, he's, he's cute and he's spoiled. So, you know, he's my first. And so, you know, we'll see how spoiled the next ones are. But any, any mental problems that he has growing up because of how poorly I raised him, you know, I'd like to apologize you know, now for <laughs> just get that out of the way. Um, <laughs> While we're thinking about it, <laughs> slight sidetrack as they mention all all the all the toys and things we get for him. But anyways, no, seriously, hey, we though, we've diverted a little bit. Do you, would you like to confess any other sins, or should we? we no, carry I'm on? good. I'm good. <laughs> okay, I don't. Okay. I don't. There's many more episodes to come, and there's plenty of time. <laughs> we'll, let's we'll not save get. A, let's not get ahead of ourselves. But 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 Will, my two year old, has not. I mean, people would argue about this because, you know, he's a child, but in an economic sense, he has not earned any of this wealth that he's now enjoying. You know, Certainly not from labor. <laughs> certainly not from labor. If labor is the only just way to earn value, he has not done that. He has not done any labor. I don't see any labor anytime <laughs> soon out of him in any kind of useful way. You know, sure, as he becomes older, we might get some dishes washed and some and some counters clean, but... But I can tell you that's nothing compared to the value that that he's, you know, that he's leeching away from society, right? But it's not him who's leeching it. And that's the misconception is that I'm the one who's leeching it in exchange that was voluntary on all sides to create more value, you know, that I in exchange with my company. You know, I'm getting these dollars in exchange for these services that I'm helping them out. They, in exchange, are selling these products to these customers in exchange that both people benefit from because otherwise they wouldn't make the exchange and so on and so on and so on. And so the two-year-old really has nothing to do with it. He's just a byproduct. And yes, he didn't earn it, but it's not about what he earned it's about what i earned and the same thing goes for walton's heirs so yeah you're welcome to to think little of them and to say yes they didn't earn this money and and i totally agree i totally agree that i don't think putting jeff bezos and a walton heir in the same group 
make sense because they are fundamentally different and their mm-hmm, contributions mm-hmm. to society are fundamentally different. But that's very different from saying that it's unjust for them to have that money. It's completely just because someone did earn that money and what he chooses to do with it is up to him. Because if if he can't choose to spend that money where he wants, then it's not really his. Right. Right. And it, and it may be worth throwing in a, a, a slight disclaimer in that there, there are a number of laws and things that are on the books that we think are unjust. And there are probably some things that are common practices that are unjust. Mm-hmm. Um, and as such, the, the, the standard going ons of goings on, going ons, why would I choose to use either one? That's the real question. These are the here. real questions. This is, this is the standard procedures of of modern business have unjust elements to them mm-hmm. um even things that are accepted and that are legal uh, as such we're happy to say to give the caveat that probably at least a portion of that wealth may may not have been earned justly right mm-hmm. but but that's besides the point to the degree that it was earned justly that he can give it to his heirs naturally follows no and, and that and- those and I think that's worth addressing for a second, because one of the most common things that happens with big businesses is they have a team of lawyers, they have lobbyists who protect yes. their interests by use of the government, which is something that all of the companies and corporations do. Does that make all corporations evil? You know what I mean? Because because technically they're they're resting on government force, right? You know, Walmart's resting on government force. Amazon's resting on government force. Elon Musk is resting on government yes. so- force. I yes, mean, in a system that favors them in ways that it shouldn't. And yes. yeah, yeah, and and so does that mean that that well, since that's the world we live in, Dan, why don't we tax the crap out of them? Because you just stated that. Part of how they got their money is unjust. So what's your answer to that? Yeah, so – Because I want to try the, you know, being devil's advocate here and you have to come up with some answers. Well, I'm I'm starting to sweat bullets here immediately. I thought I thought this was – I had this all figured out. I realized I don't actually have to do any work. I can just field questions to Brad. Just ask questions, yeah. (laughs) I just solved this and now you're turning the tables. Um, That that is how people talk about it, right? They they say, look – some of the profits you have are, are unjust and, and often, often this is based on an understanding of inequality as inherently unjust and, and assumptions of the zero sum game, which we won't get into here, but the idea that, that for you to have that much money, it must have been taken from someone else, right? That, that, that mm-hmm. there's a finite number of resources and that those resources thus need to be distributed deliberately, that mm-hmm. you need to have some program by which you make sure that that everyone is getting some because everyone's life has value and so on. Um, and well, and you can even argue the, it more simply than that, Dan. You could say, to some unknown degree, there was unjust yes, reasons from our for you to have. Yes. Your, yeah, there was yeah. unjust reasons for you to have your wealth. And if they were unjust, if it was taking from one and giving to another, then the people it's taking from is everybody else, right? All these people who aren't owning a major corporation. Therefore, we're not going to take everything from these big corporations, but we'll do something like Biden's doing and take 2% off the top every year and distribute it back to everyone else in forms of, you know, maybe education or tax breaks or infrastructure, something to help those people who were hurt in the first place. Yeah. So this is 
The simple answer is, this is the wrong solution to an injustice. Mm-hmm. Um, to, 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 and you can look at this in a, the way that our legal system works is extraordinary. In, in a good way, in this case. The assumption that someone is innocent until proven guilty is really crucial to the way it works. And then that you must have a trial and it has to go through certain procedures. This is often referred to as, as due process, though that's a perversion of the due process clause of the Constitution, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. another story. <laughs> but often it's called due process. The idea is that there's a process that must uh, be followed. Um, I guess I guess the perversion is substantial due process, which is where you say that that the process has an inherent justice to it. Anyway, a story for another time. You have to follow this process. It involves a jury trial. It's going to involve uh, act certain ways in which you have to accuse them. And it's going to then go through a process by which you say, we have to show guilt before we can punish for the crime. The reason for this is partially to avoid punishing innocent people. There may be businessmen who have not done that. And so a blanket rule is going to punish the innocent. Yeah, because you're just punishing people who have a certain amount of money. You're assuming because they have the money, they've done something. Um, But beyond that, it is the absolute worst way I can think of to address real injustice. Mm Mm-hmm. If there is actual injustice, you know, some some way in which people are being coerced or harmed uh, uh, through the force of, of government or a business's coercion or something like that, you know, if there's actual injustice, um, people are being forced to subsidize these massive businesses is actual injustice. There's no reason I should be paying for the benefits of some of these large companies. Well, right? and, and here's an analogy for that, Dan. What if... Instead of having our current legal system, we simply had a fee structure for crimes that a misdemeanor (laughs) is going to be $400, you know, this higher misdemeanor is going to be $800. You commit, you know, a class three felony, that's going to be two grand class one felony. I mean, you murder someone in cold blood. That's an easy 40 (laughs) K, you know what I mean? But, but, but what happens is that I say, okay, well, the end result is, as long as you have enough money, you can eat those fees and have it not be a problem. You know, I mean, that's something we see in these big lawsuits, right? Where, where they they don't they're not getting charged criminally, but they're getting you know charged civilly, and they're like, okay, well, we'll pay the fine and then continue doing what we're doing. You know yes, what I mean? Yes. No one agrees yes. that that's a good system to say, oh, yeah, you can you can create a drug that kills people and then make another drug that kills people and then make another drug that kills people. But if we catch you, then you're going to have to pay the family of those people who died 20 grand. You know what I mean? That do we can we can we all agree that that's not working? That that's not a good system for no, for, for correcting injustices is no, just to do punitive financial restriction. Uh, pi- f- punitive financial restitution after the fact yes uh, and it's i'm glad you pointed that out because the only action you can take against a business as a whole is something like that this is why the corporate shield is is inherently wrong Mm -hmm. i I don't think the corporate shield is is morally legitimate it used to be a privilege that we bestowed upon that that societies bestowed upon favored businesses because it was it gave them privileges that they mm-hmm. wouldn't have under the common law mm-hmm. that if you if you naturally were thinking about how a business should be treated in relation to mis misconduct 
Um, you would not protect them in the way that the corporate shield does. Uh, but yeah, that- and, and to put that in perspective, what you're saying is if we don't have this corporate shield, then there's a drug that comes out, and it turns out we find out that it was killing people, and then it turns out that we find out that there's documents that showed that they knew it was killing people, and they chose not to do anything about it. When that happens today, you get these big lawsuits, right? Where they say, mm-hmm. okay, well, you you were negligent, and so you're going to have to pay for it. If there wasn't a corporate shield, they'd say, okay, these 17 people knew that they their actions were killing people and didn't do anything about it. Those 17 people are going to be brought before a jury of their peers and tried based off of the evidence. And if the evidence is actually there, then those people are going to go and they're going to serve jail time or whatever, depending on the state and the jurisdiction, blah, blah, blah. There's going to be a justice system for that action because that's not a monetary problem. That's a criminal problem. And the fact that that's not happening is a serious problem. It is a serious problem. Uh, The solution to, to injustice is, is actual individual accountability for the crimes, for real crimes, fining businesses or applying some kind of a 2% tax is, is not, ironically, it's not far enough, right? People are like, we should at least do this. No. Don't do that because if you do that, you're giving them the pass. You're saying, this is how you pay for your crimes. Mm-hmm. And this how this we know you some of it's and not. regardless of whether or not you've committed those crimes, you know, it's yeah, gonna yes. be a blanket. Yeah, not thing. only are you capturing innocent people, but the guilty people should face real consequences. It's interesting. I'm no doubt people listening to this are probably at this point like, well, are you guys for business or are you against it? Neither. That's a that's a stupid label. <laughs> right, right? And this is this is how politics has worked so often. You get, you get one side that's against big business and the other that's for big business. What I would like is real justice, right? People held accountable for their actions and that, and real, uh, the real ability to enjoy the fruits of your labors. Mm-hmm. And the two can coexist. Mm-hmm. The, the same rights that would, should protect the property of, of Sam Walton to give it to undeserved, <laughs> maybe his children are saints and they're doing wonderful things with their money. <laughs> maybe they're really undeserving scumbags, right? And we can all look at it and be like, that was a terrible decision. And we can, you know, it can be a model for like, this is why you don't just give your children everything, <laughs> right? That's, <laughs> but that's, that's another question of whether or not that they have justly received it without, uh, you know, without, uh, force or fraud or harming other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh anyway the the whole the whole question is in, instead of trying to steer society and say should we be helping big business or should we be helping the little people that's not the question that i think that misses the entire thread of of just human action and thus with the the moral ideas upon which you Use force against another human being, which you're justified in saying, no, you do that kind of thing, and there are going to be consequences. Mm-hmm. There's going to be this jury trial, and you're going to go to jail for a long time. Or, you know, in the worst case scenario, in some states, you're going to be executed for this. Right? There's going to be serious consequences because that behavior is, is absolutely unacceptable. It doesn't just warrant some 2% fine on your profits, right? That's, yeah, yeah. that's a ridiculous solution to a serious injustice. And anyway, I get, I get, fired up about this and on the one hand because big businesses are 
in what some ways being maligned through this 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 uh linguistic twist of profiteering and the the cultural connotation negative connotations of these words we're beginning with and on the other hand they're getting away with actual murder at times <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. actual like actual malfeasance that should should not result in a fine of yeah, their business and getting a patent which is insane yes yes so, anyway. so I, I want to bring this back to price gouging, but I can't yet. I got to bring up one more thing, um, <laughs> we'll which is there. that another aspect of this, which which mentioned earlier, is that very often these businesses are getting protected and they're getting benefits from the government. You know what I mean? And that's happening repeatedly. And it doesn't make yeah. sense. It's illogical for the government system to be set up where first we're going to pass out all of these favors to big business. And then we're going to slap a penalty on them and it, because they get all these favors and it's unjust for them to benefit so much from government action. When clearly the, the solution is just to remove the government favors in the first part. You know what I mean? Right. That that you have people who argue that the free market is broken while ignoring the fact that we haven't let the free market work for a long time. So I just want to put that out there. Yes. Um, yeah. As a separate thing from the from the the justice and the corporate shield, which is a true travesty that that we are a hundred percent against having those shields. Why we're talking about all of this in relation to price gouging is an excellent question, and and for those of you who have been waiting patiently for us to actually talk about, if you about, heard the beginning, we're like price gouging. <laughs> <laughs> Now that now that you're talking about it, now I feel this urge to just not talk about it. Just and, like, and just you and, know what? <laughs> just say sorry, everyone. A rebel without a cause. Here's the here's the <laughs> now. So price gouging is important because it's a part of this this whole idea of profiteering, right? There there are illegitimate profits in certain circumstances. So the, the in this case, beyond the, doing something unjust with your yes, business, yeah. Yes. The problem is not that they've done something unjust. The problem is that in these circumstances, unjust in the way that we mean it. People will use that term differently. Uh-huh. Um the people in these emergency circumstances are thinking about profits when they should be thinking about these people or and they're they're charging more than they should. Part of the answer to that that how to think about this is the value scale that Brad was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. The way the prices are set, uh, or the way that an exchange is determined, whether whether an exchange is acceptable and both parties go through with it, is based on their valuations of what the other person has. So if I if I and circumstances r- significantly affect that, and circumstances significantly affect your valuations. Yes, for obvious reasons. In the in the desert, dying of thirst. Your value, where you put water on your scale and what you're willing to give for it changes dramatically. And, and it's precisely that kind of circumstance that, that, that often, uh, price gouging laws come into play. Uh, it's in, it's in disasters. It's in declared states of emergency is where the laws in there's, there's 37 states that have laws on the books. Um, those laws generally apply, uh, in emergencies or, or declared disasters and things. And they, what they do is they limit the range of prices allowed. So you can, you're charging $10 for a product. A state of emergency is declared. In that state of emergency until it is over, you are limited in how much you can increase the price of the goods. And it's, it's generally a, a common number was 
you can increase it up to 10%. Um, and there's variations on that and, and exceptions, but so I can, I can charge up to $11 for that product within this state of emergency. Mm-hmm. And the reason is we don't want people making profits in a way that takes advantage of the circumstances. And the thing with that is the, the logic is fundamentally flawed. Um, I, I backpacked Mount Whitney um, a few years back as a teenager, and we, we did the long hike. And so we went around the back of the mountain. So we had been hiking for about four days before we actually made it to the mountain and, and climbed the peak. And we had been living off of, you know, cliff bars and peanut butter and tortillas for several days now. And we get to the top. And there were people there who had done the day hike, which is a, a grueling hike up the front of the mountain. You know, it's a it's a 14er. It's very high. And they were selling things. And they were selling things that they had brought up the mountain for exorbitant prices. I mean, truly ridiculous prices. But they had things that we really wanted. And... And that is a great example of price gouging. Like that they, they were taking advantage <laughs> yes. of the situation. It, it was in many ways the equivalent of, you know, charging $50 for a bottle of water to a person dying of thirst in the desert. But as someone who was there, as someone who was experiencing it in the moment, I didn't care about the price gouging. I didn't care about the economic principles behind it. I was just glad that they were there offering those services and disappointed that I was a teenager who had no income or money. Um, <laughs> but no, but no, but seriously, you know what I mean? Though, like yes, if yes, I, yeah. if I were up on that mountain today with the income that I have, you know, and I, and I actually had $20 in my wallet you know, I would have been like, yeah, this is reasonable what you're doing here because my value for these items has gone way up. And I don't care how much effort you put into getting this food here and getting these items here. Here, I don't care if it was easy for you, if it was hard for you. I don't care if your profit margin is small or big. What I care about is how much I value these products based off of these circumstances and right now it's pretty darn high. And and that's what happens in an emergency. I mean, you can go back to, to big natural disasters like Hurricane Katrina, other things like that, where there's very limited supplies. And when you allow prices to rise, it does a couple of things. First of all, it limits how quickly the things that are there and available sell out because people significantly increase the prices. And so people only buy either what they can afford or what they need based off of their personal value scales. You know what I mean? They're not going to go to the store and buy all of the toilet paper because toilet paper now costs twice as much as it used to. And so they're just going to buy the toilet paper they need. But because... And then I'm, I switched to COVID all of a sudden. I realized we don't need to come up with Hurricane Katrina. We've had a crisis. <laughs> like, guys, imagine what a crisis would be like because none of you have lived through one. Just You've imagine. never seen this. <laughs> Let me try this one more time. Our audience is literally your son, apparently. <laughs> hey, he's Not seen cognizant it. Of he just didn't know what was happening. Let's say he was there for all of it. Um <laughs> Yeah, so so let's take the toilet paper crisis. Toilet paper 
There's there's an uptick in, in toilet paper demand because people are afraid it's going to run out and the stores are not allowed to increase their prices. The stores literally cannot increase their prices. Yes, in most states, they literally cannot. Uh-huh. And beyond, it, beyond a level that would be, you wouldn't notice. Yeah. yeah, 10% increase on toilet paper. They probably did do that and you wouldn't they even probably notice. Did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so what happens is you have a bunch of other individuals who buy a whole bunch of the toilet paper in the hopes of being able to either resell it later or more often than not, most of the people who bought more toilet paper were just buying twice as much as usual in anticipation of keeping that for when it runs out. I mean, that's what most people did. There are stories of people filling their vans full of toilet yeah, paper. Yeah, you get the, the few that do that, and then that, that sparks that, everyone else buying extra. Yeah, but that is not what actually sparked the shortage. No, it was the normal people <coughs> buying a little bit extra. But if instead toilet pe- paper prices had spiked short term, people only would have bought what they needed the demand would have actually gone down. People would have bought less toilet paper than normal, and then prices would have followed because people would have realized there wasn't a shortage as the, the shelves stayed stocked because the prices went up. And thus, people were able to get toilet paper based off of their adjusted value scales because of the current situation. And then the other thing that does is, is it encourages people to create more of whatever that is because the prices have gone up. You know what I mean? If you have a local crisis, you know, like Hurricane Katrina, and now there's huge demand for items and prices are allowed to skyrocket, then people in other areas that aren't struggling are going to be more than happy to provide those goods for an increased price, which will quickly bring the price down. You know what I mean? Prices aren't aren't going to stay up forever, which is always the idea with price gouging is that it's just going to destroy the world, but that's not how the market actually works. Price gouging, which is an, a dirty word, is really just a response to the circumstances that in the end allow goods to go to people who want them the most and to limit the amount of goods sold based off of people's value scales. So it conserves and it prioritizes, essentially. There's a natural sorting in Mm -hmm. which the people that need it most, it will be available to the people who need it most instead of having clear shelves. That's one of the things that's interesting about this is Walmart, the Walmart around here were out of toilet paper. Mm -hmm. They were straight up out of toilet paper. Uh That would not have happened if you allowed them to change the prices to respond to the increased demand. Mm -hmm. And you would have, it would have cost a lot, but it's one thing for it to cost a lot. And it's one thing to To not not be able to buy it Mm -hmm. at all. (laughs) Right. A shortage should, this is, this is the, the, because it leads to the conservation, because it leads to uh, a refining, a uh, what's the word, an adjustment by which people can, it's still available to people who need it the most, and it's uh, you know prevents the shortage through. I'm saying the same thing three different ways. It conserves, preventing the shortage, the allowing people to have does. it there. The price increase does. Yeah, you said. Um, yeah, and and that allows for the most important functions of it to continue. Right. So if a good example of this is if gas prices go up really high, people who are using gas, if, if you allow gas prices to adjust, this is one of the, the famous ones here. People are, people are talking about price gouging with gas prices. If you allow gas prices to adjust, then people who can use less and who, for whom it's, you know, it's economically 
in the way. They're not rich people per se who can write off the price. Yeah, Will which is most less, of America. Most of America, which is, which is almost everybody. Yeah, yeah, is going yeah. to be at least a little bit impacted by gas prices. That if they have the option to drive less, yes. they're more likely to consider it when gas costs over four dollars a gallon versus when it was two fifty. Yeah. yeah, the price increase signals a shortage, a potential shortage of goods. There's there's not enough supply, leading to an economizing because we see the price increase which allows us to respond to the facts, which is that there are fewer of these. Uh-huh. We're, or at least perceived to be fewer, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. this is an illusion. Sometimes it's just, well, sometimes, sometimes we're trying to predict it, the future. In the case of oil, yeah, it's uncertainty. You know, the yes, oil companies uncertain. don't know how much oil there's going to be in the future, even if there may be enough right now. Right. And the right, the right response in the face of uncertainty is often to, to play conservative, right? Is to play mm-hmm. it safe and to be like, raise close the prices. borders. <laughs> oh, is that not what you is meant that, by conservative? By, by, by cons- <laughs> it's to play it safe. And so oh, okay. people people look at this and they go, they go, there's increased prices, but you're still making a significant profit. Clearly, this is price gouging. Or they're looking ahead and they're saying there's going to be incoming shortages. And if we run out of oil, that would be that would be much worse than the alternative. We should raise prices according to the uncertainty or in, in potential that could happen. Even um, if it doesn't directly reflect current oil prices. Yes. In fact, if you're looking only at current oil prices and you're running a business, you're running it wrong, right? You, should, you need to be looking ahead. At the future, you need to be yeah. At the future, which, which means they're doing their job here, which is to say this could actually become much worse. We're going to increase prices ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the result is the rest of us will economize to the degree that we can. And that will mean there's no shortage. And that will mean the essential functions will have, you know, no shortage in the sense of, of we don't actually run out. You will get, be able to get gas at the pump when you need it, which is critical if you need to get to the hospital or, or for, for much more critical functions than, uh, your ordinary errand that you run on a day to day basis, right? And, and similar things are happening outside of oil companies. Yes, companies are increasing their prices, sometimes more than the level of inflation. And, yes. and if you think about it from a business perspective, it makes sense because what's the point in keeping your prices low and then having your shelves run bare? Because as soon as your shelves run bare, people are like, oh, well, they're not going to have the stuff that I want. And maybe I should go somewhere else who does have it. People, you know, stores want to keep their shelves stocked because they want people to keep yes. going there, especially like a grocery store. If you have empty aisles, people are in other stores have full aisles. They're going to go somewhere else. Yeah, and you so lose it, customers it, and probably permanently. Some of them will be permanent. Yeah, exactly. Versus if you increase your prices some to limit how much people are buying, you can keep those pri- those shelves full and keep your business going forward. And yes, you're doing that with an eye to profits but the idea that every company as a whole is just like hey we're gonna screw the customer and make as much profits as possible right now is inaccurate because if that were the case then half the companies would be doing that and the other companies would see this great opportunity to lower their prices and steal all of their market share because if you if you know how businesses work one of the key things is market share because some people shop at smith's and some people shop at walmart and some some people shop at winco here in utah those are the big three and lots of those customers 
shop at just one of those places. I shop at every place, right? Except for there's a couple fringe ones. Oh, I don't he's know, a madman. I am a madman because I keep looking at the prices. I keep comparing and I, I'm checking the prices all the time. And if you change the prices, I'm gone like that. That's, that's not how normal people operate. They no. just shop at their grocery store unless that's something significant bumps them to the other store. And that's what people talk about when they're talking about market share. You know, it's something you see with Apple and Samsung with smartphones is if you can keep them your loyal customer, even if you screw up here and there, it's okay. Even if you have to increase their prices, they won't abandon ship on the first go. But you have to work that, right? And if there's an opportunity to steal market share, which means to steal those customers and make them loyal Smith's customers instead of Walmart customers, Smith will do it. Smith's will do it if that opportunity is there. And that's what we in the business like to call competition. And it's <laughs> one of the basic it, principles of wait, how the define market that works. term. <laughs> you know, that, that we're talking like all of the grocery stores have formed OPEC, you know, and they're meeting every yes. week to say, hey, inflation is going up. We're all going to raise our prices. We're going to screw all the customers and we're going to make a killing. Done, done. Yes, this is this is where the idea really falls apart. And, and I hear this over and over again, that the claim that businesses that are not affected by shortages and are raising their prices above uh, the inflation rate, and that is price gouging, and they're doing it to take advantage of the customer. They cannot do that in a vacuum. There are other businesses out there, and if other businesses of that kind don't have to raise their prices, as the claim was, then they can undercut these businesses that are trying to, to mm -hmm. do what mm -hmm. is called what is this price gouging. Thing, yeah, right? yeah. And that price gouging business will lose customers and they won't actually make money. You, you don't make, if all it took to make more money was raise your prices. And everyone would just raise their prices Everyone just forever. raise their prices, right? Right. The problem is in order for this to be the explanation, you have to explain why they're all coordinating. When to undercut their competition would clearly put them in a better position. It, it, when they can just keep their prices the same and get more market share, they can mm -hmm. just do nothing. Why yeah. would they raise their prices? Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't get it. Right. Why would they, why would they go along with everyone else and raise their prices? It, it, it's not a, it doesn't make sense at the level of, of market competition. It's a, it's a claim that now, no doubt some businesses are doing this. Some small group of businesses are doing this and they're doing it within a margin. They think they can get away with it and not lose customers and so on. And that's, that is what it is, right? That's it's business. That's people like, oh, customers are willing to pay more for this product right now and probably for the foreseeable future. Customers are willing to pay more for this product. So our service is more valuable to them than we're charging. We can charge more. Mm -hmm. And businesses do that all the time. They don't, yeah. That's not just an emergency thing, right? That's 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 a call they and, make and if, all and the if time. The, and if the consumers don't choose to go to the competing business where it costs less, it then shows the business, well, maybe they actually don't care enough about the price to go somewhere else and we can charge more. And we can charge more. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like like yeah. Walmart does with their with their tech section. You know, they're like, yeah, we can charge ten dollars for these headphones that are really only worth five. And people who are already shopping for groceries don't care enough to shop around that they'll just buy these crappy headphones. And yeah. they do. Yeah. And and the reason they get away with it is because 
people that consumers actually don't care enough in that one particular area that when they go to Walmart, they're like, okay, bread prices are cheaper. Milk prices are cheaper. Cereal prices are cheaper. And so I'm just going to shop here, even if some of these other products cost more because they're not purchasing one product. They're purchasing a whole experience, which is called going to the grocery store. You know, it's an event (laughs) and it's more complicated than just the price of headphones. Yes. Yes. So it's not even a bad thing. Like, like, well, it's not even an evil thing. It's just, it's, it's just a matter of what people prioritize. I'm the kind of person who will go to Walmart and purchase half of my groceries there and then go to Smith's and purchase half of my groceries there and then go to Costco and purchase half of my groceries there because I eat a lot of food. And so 100 percent is not enough. Um, <laughs> even of your grocery, list, even of you my get grocery you, list, you I put need together 150%. what you need and you get 150 percent. See, you get it. <laughs> But but to shop around because because clearly I don't value my own time and I definitely value getting a good deal. I may even value yeah. getting a good deal more than I value dollars, which is another story. <laughs> that, that I don't no, even. That, it's funny. It's, it's a real like thing that. because I, like that. I care more about how much I'm saving sometimes than even how much I'm spending. You know, and so it's not even about how much I'm spending at the grocery <laughs> store. It's not about saving money. It's about getting a good deal, which is a whole separate thing on the value scale. And the point I'm trying to make here is that it's so complicated and it's so much more than just the one sticker price on the one thing. And we're trying to to, to simplify it to just that. And that's just not capturing the bigger picture here. Yeah, so let's see if we can recap some of the some of the takeaways specifically you from, can. Pri- from price gouging. Um, you want prices to increase. You actually do. You want I, prices to increase when yeah, there's actually I, a shortage of something. Yeah, we want prices to be flexible based off of what's going on. And so when there yes. are shortages, the best thing that can happen for the consumer is for prices to go up. Yes, and and that's and that's and that's anyone who's ever anyone who's ever run out of toilet paper can attest to that, that they're like, at <laughs> yes. least I didn't have to pay 50% more. Yeah. As yeah to add one leaves. more detail, you were talking about that example of you up on the mountain. There, there, usually a shortage is not worldwide because of COVID's worldwide pandemic. It was, it was pretty much worldwide. Um, but often, often you get, if you allow prices to go up, it may become worth the time of people who are far away to bring goods to you. To this climb exactly the mountain and the, bring the goods. To climb the mountain and sell things, right? To to drive across the country and sell bottled water in the flood zone. Mm-hmm. These, these acts are illegal, but what they do is they take an area where you don't have enough water. And bring more and water you, there. And you bring more water there. And it's and it's at a price that people can then choose whether to accept or not. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't I'm I'm looking really hard. For the injustice here, for the mm-hmm. thing that we go, this has to be illegal. Yeah, because what the law is saying is that we would rather have those trucks full of bottled water sit where they are. Yes, than drive where across, there's a surplus of water. Where there's a surplus of water and continue to make their normal profits than drive across the country and charge twice as much. That one of those is evil and the one where they do nothing is the one that's good. And yes. of course, I know the government would say, well, they should travel over there, but not increase their prices. And that's just irrational. <laughs> right, right. You want them to spend extra money to and sell not these make any the more. Yeah, yeah, yes. It's a, it, it's silly. We, we, what we want is we want goods in places where a price increase signals the the need for more supplies. You were saying earlier, and and if it's a temporary one, you want temporary people showing up and doing this. And if it's mm-hmm. a long term one, 
Um, this is one of the problems with the price of oil. We could produce more oil. We're not going to produce much more oil, I don't think. Uh, why? Because oil producers know that they're on the clock politically, right? They, mm -hmm. they, if they invest large amounts of money in increased oil production, there's a very good chance that that, that doesn't actually increase That may not be a good long-term investment because right. of the restrictions that things put in place and, and the, the, the shift away from oil. Right. The, in popular opinion, oil is, is going out. Why, would, why invest a ton there? Right? This is an example of, of where the politics is getting in the way of, of the market responding. Um, yeah, anyway. Anyway, with regards to profiteering in general in these terms, we, we really need to change the way we talk about profits. Um, profits are not, to the degree that you're not stealing them from someone, which is anytime there's a free exchange, you're not, um, without coercion or force, uh, profits are fine. They're not, they're better than fine. They're, they're a sign that you are contributing something to someone's life, right? Mm -hmm. They're a sign that you've made, you've improved someone's life mm -hmm. in a way that they were willing so substantially that they were willing to give you money for it. Yeah. Right? They were willing to make the exchange and thought they were better off. And thought they'd be better off for it. Um, as such profit, this whole idea of profiteering and taking advantage of the situation, we, we need the market to respond to situations. We want mm -hmm. prices to respond to situations. We want these things to be flexible. We don't want in unjust big corporations running things and driving things. They do, they do, they have all kinds of corruption, but the profits are not that corruption. Right? Mm -hmm. The cor mm -hmm. corruption is elsewhere and maybe it results in some higher profits in some cases, but the, but the problem is not the profits. It's the corruption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to correct diagnosis of the problem is key here. If we're constantly misdiagnosing, we're going to end up with misaligned solutions like the 2%, you know, you know, tax on everyone who's rich, which doesn't solve the problems people are actually upset about. And on top of that creates a whole nother slew of other problems. Yes, yes, it does. Just like with just like with price fixing, you know, assuming the shortages are significant enough, price fixing will re will result in actual shortages like Let's, we saw in toilet paper or like you'd see during a yeah. war where you have rations because there's not enough to go around and the government has interfered to such a degree that you get all of these malincentives and that's yes. not what we want yes and this this to be clear this it's interesting because brad and i've mentioned price fixing a couple times and i keep waiting for it to rear its head and sometimes it's mentioned politically but it's very rare and i've been weirded out by this because i know the idea's that lead you to think that price fixing is a good idea are still extremely common. It made sense as, I, as we were reading about price gouging and the laws that are on the books. They are price fixing in emergency. Yeah, even though like that's not what they're, they're described as. Price fixing not, yeah, right. is described as a nefarious process by groups like OPEC, but the number one price fixer in the world is government. Yes, yes. And, and specifically, I was thinking government price fixing. These, these laws do that. They say they give you a range, but that range is extremely narrow. <laughs> and they say you can't you can't move it out of this range. And so essentially, during emergencies, government is fixing prices. Mm -hmm. And that was and it's like no wonder, no wonder there are no calls to do that. It happens automatically, right? It's mm -hmm. in the it's in the books. Yeah. So, any other anything else we want to recap, Brad, or we wrap up there? No, I, I think that's good. So, so yeah, when it comes down to it, we're not we're not here in defense of these big corporations, but we are in defense 
of the market and letting the market work. And yes, that means letting increased prices happen sometimes. And then it's actually not the worst thing in the world. And it's actually a necessary process. Yes, it's not something good that we're happy about because it's only in result to negative circumstances. You know what I mean? Yes, mm-hmm. we would have preferred COVID never to happen and we could, you know, and and none of this happened. Yeah, sure, that would be fantastic. But that's not the world we live in. The world we live in is one where things like Hurricane Katrina, COVID-19 does happen. And when it does, when you're on the mountain with nothing, you want people to be able to overcharge you so you can get what you need. Because it's not actually overcharging at that <laughs> so point. It's not cold. getting what you need. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, and with that, thank you for listening. This has been an episode of Rethinking Politics. You can find us on all of the major podcasting apps or on YouTube. You can reach out to us at rethinkingpoliticspodcast at gmail.com or you can visit our website at rethinkingpolitics.podbean.com where you can support us via Patreon. Thanks. Have a wonderful day.